This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> uh, as always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the Yay. Uh, Central Works is headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Zleifler. Central Works, a new play theater, reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank them so much for sponsoring the Yay. And we have a fantastic guest, April Joy. Is it Deutschel? Deutschley. Deutschley. Yes. <laughs> April Deutschley, you are a, uh, an actress. Uh, we were just talking. You uh, studied at the Academy of uh, Art Institute. Mm -hmm. yeah. I yeah. did. Oh, okay. <laughs> Graduated in 2016, and she's been uh, hitting the, uh, the theater Bay Area, and uh, she was in my play, Judicial Process. Well, she was in a bunch of plays, part of the Breck Project, and that's how I get to know you, April. And mm -hmm. um, I just think you're a fantastic actress, and I'm so glad to have you on the A. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Right on. And we'll <laughs> talk more about uh, April. Uh, Norman, as I begin each podcast, how was your week? Um, it, it's been an interesting week. I'm, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> My folks have been having health issues. And so there's been a lot of family just trying to calm people down. Finally, yeah. my stepfather started sending out text messages. And then we actually FaceTimed just so he could reassure everybody that everything's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I got a bad text uh, last night. Uh, my mom is back in the hospital. I thought she was doing oh. so well. She's been battling cancer. So you're not alone, Norman. You know, everyone's going through it. And um, with COVID-19, and I mean, every everyone is, this This has been one hell of a year. Oh, it's yeah. Hell of a year. yeah. But it keeps getting more interesting. I just picked up another gig um, just today, a yeah. coaching gig. So it's it's a little bit of dramaturging, a little bit of directing. Right on. A, a piece through Afro Solo. And, uh, and I'll be doing... Um, yeah, can we talk about the grant that you got? Oh, right. And I got a grant. <laughs> yeah, uh, Oakland, um, it's called Oakland Cares, the Oakland Cares Fund, and it's for artists and arts institute, you know, arts organizations. Um, and apparently when they hit their deadline, they had no individual applications. So the word went out. They threw the net a little wider, and I put it in, and I got a grant. So... I'm going to try to put some of that money towards putting a project together. All but right. This week I'm working on um, Judith Offers uh, got a new play called Just Vote about Susan B. Anthony. And that's right. You, you're going to be Frederick Douglass. I'll be playing Frederick Douglass. So but what I wanted to brag about and if Judith hears this and we can have words. But um, I, so, you know, me and readings, I really hate when somebody wants to do too many rehearsals for a reading. I just feel like it's, you know, um, you hit the point of diminishing returns real quick. The more comfortable the actors get with the story, the less they remember that they've got to hold on to that script. So you get these moments of acting and then they got to stop and find their place. Waste no time. So basically, I feel like you need to have enough rehearsals so the actors know how to navigate their script. And that's about it. So we did a first read through. That was cool. Started getting some notes immediately. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, I sent a message right afterwards because Frederick Douglass is in at the top and at the end. But most of the middle of the play, no Frederick Douglass. Mm. I'm like, well, why don't you just, why don't I skip the next rehearsal and I'll come back for the next run through? Because <laughs> uh, I think you can spend the time working on all those other things because they did stop scene by scene. They'd stop and make little adjustments. And I'm like, if you're going to do that, then why don't you go ahead and do some scene work and I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. So the producer agreed to it. 
Judith says, well, we should find another time because it's the first scene is just the two characters, Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass. And she said, we should find another time for you guys to run that scene. I had suggested that we could just see how it goes in the next run through and then find some time. So now she has sent out an email. So the producer agreed. I did not have to go to rehearsal this week. I'm so happy. Then I get this email saying, well, we should find a time for you guys to run this scene. I'm like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Sure. That's, yeah, that's I, yeah, I have. And also, I mean, you know, Judith is a wonderful writer and I've worked with her. You know, she had uh, she sponsored my reading. I think it was. Um, oh, shucks. Was it Don't Open the Red Book? But it was also Judicial Process as well. The first reading of yeah, that. Judicial Process. I remember that. And, um, you know, there, there's a difference between those who are used to being in the theater and for those who I guess are coming at it from a different angle. And also and we've talked about this before. Zoom readings are very, very different from actually being on the stage, and you can't yep. have the, you have to have, mm -hmm. have different expectations. April, you've done a bunch of Zoom readings, obviously. Uh, how do you feel? I mean, as an actor, of course, it's different from actually being on stage. But have you made an adjustment? Are there things that really frustrate you about readings, or are you enjoying it? <laughs> yeah, I've done I've done a few here and there. It's it's definitely a shift. Um, you know. You, I really miss that like really connection that you have with your scene partner. Like that's definitely lacking. And I think takes a different skill as an actor to like create that in a way that feels, the audience can feel that they still have that connection right. um, while listening or viewing on whatever platform. And for me, yeah, the I've, I've found kind of similar, like having some of the rehearsals, especially for the readings can be, it can be a lot because it takes, I feel like it takes more energy for me to be on Zoom than it takes for me to be in person because I have to work harder to establish that connection and, right. you know, um, how we're feeling and making sure that the other person's really getting across what I'm trying to say and invoke <laughs> in them and in myself. And you have to listen harder as well. Um, and also, managing all your tabs on your computer <laughs> right um yeah yeah it's it's, it's our it's, new world <laughs> exactly and of course you know we're very happy as actors and as creators to still be working and still because you know I, I initially thought in april oh geez mm -hmm. you know theater shut down so we're not going to be doing any work at all but you know there's a there's a new zoom life but it takes a bit of adjusting and what you're going through with judith offered norman it's one of those things and i'm sure judith is sort of frustrated herself but she has to trust the actors you know trust that you know the connection is going to be made and if you're only going to be there for the very beginning it sounds like she She's using Frederick Douglass for exposition and so forth of a sort of a denouement, you know, sort of a. a well, she's end. there's um the first scene is a juicy scene and the end towards the scene is more than two people, but it's a very juicy scene as well. She's trying to talk about the ideas of the day, but you know, from the points of view of these different characters, um, and it's exciting in terms of that. But I just, if you read through something one time, and then you're going to have a bunch of rehearsals. I don't see why you need to keep, you know, you should give the actors a chance to sort of navigate and then you can go in and start to fine tune. If you know you're only going to have a few rehearsals, then bam, you know me, I'll hit you with notes. I, I, I do believe in notes, but um, I'm just looking at the schedule that we have and I'm like, we're going to have with tech, we're going to end up having four rehearsals. You know, I think there's a lot of other things that need some attention than that simple two person. Because I, you know, I do this. 
If I've got a two-person scene, I'm probably not going to spend a whole lot of time on your two-person scene. I may just have you read through it. I may give you a couple of notes. I'm not going to go back and waste everybody's time focusing on that two-person scene. Yeah, and that's the key thing, wasting people's time. I mean, you know, there are directors who are like, hey, let's bring everybody in, let's do the thing, and they're focused on so many things. And, you know, a lot of times actors are, you know, spending, I don't know, an hour, two hours, whether it be Zoom yep. or, you know, even worse, coming to the actual theater. And it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm not getting enough time here. And, you know, that's a horrible thing. Right. But in any case, uh, yeah, so, no, it's exciting. I'm exciting to see that, uh, you know, to see Just Vote, and we'll, um, we'll push that by Judith Hopper when it comes up. I've only got three things as far as uh, current events. Obviously, you know, uh, Trump is still trying to invalidate the votes. I was so happy to see that Georgia has actually certified. Yes. The, um, I think it's 16 electoral votes. So that's fantastic. Uh, it's right. it's a little crazy that we're still going through this. I mean, it's, it's Trump reminds me of, it's like a football team that's lost, but they're still on the field, you know, <laughs> right. they're still... And it's crazy. I mean, the Giuliani hair dyed. That was the funniest thing. Oh, this week. Wow. <laughs> oh, the press conference. And he's, you know, throwing out these crazy, you know, conspiracy theories. And I don't even know why he even bothered to dye his hair. I mean, we've seen his right. hair white. What's right. the big deal? <laughs> so I, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was just really, really funny. Um, Don Jr., uh, last night, he has tested positive for COVID-19. So yet yes. another member of the Trump administration and now a member of his family is tested positive. And the third thing I had, um, so the FDA, they may approve uh, the drug, you know, Pfizer and Moderna, they've been making great improvements, mm -hmm. but it appears that they also approved remdesivir and that was a, a month ago, but who the World Health Organization shot it down. So I'm wondering, you know, I, I was like, wow, that's fantastic. We're getting closer to a vaccine. But it's like, well, if the FDA is approving something that who doesn't approve, right. is, is the FDA just another arm of the Trump administration saying, well, we're just going to push something in for political purposes? Is it really going to help us? I don't know. I mean, how, do we feel um, optimistic or pessimistic about uh, a vaccine getting closer? Uh, how, how do you feel, April? You know, it's weird. I'm, you know, I'm, I straddle the fence on, on vaccines in general, you know, do I get the flu shot? Do I not get the flu shot? Is it going to make me feel better? Is it going to make me feel worse? I mean, I definitely want something that is going to be good for everybody regards to COVID-19. Um, and I hope it happens soon, but if it needs to be delayed longer, that is works better for us, then let's do that. You know, it's, I, I know that there's a rush but I don't want it to be rushed that it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. H how do you feel about, I guess, the craziness that is, you know, Trump still fighting an election that is 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 pretty much over? I mean, are you shocked by it? Are you, uh, how are you taking it all in? I mean, it's so, it's almost hard to be shocked by anything at this point. Right. But it's like, yeah, you're just kind of, I mean, having just done um, the Breck Project and I did, the show I'm with her, which was like very heavily um, focused on a character who is a Trump supporter. And so it's like, I, you know, I'm having these like views that others, the view of the other side and having to think more about views from other people and their views based around Trump. Yeah. But it's at the same time, 
I feel like, you know, I also work with preschoolers and kindergartners and they know that when their turn's over, their turn's over and you <laughs> it to the next person. Right, exactly. Why can't, the, why, why can't Trump understand what preschoolers already know? And yeah. yeah that, that I'm With Her play was very interesting, the Scott Munson play, where you had to sort of fall in love. I wouldn't even know if you were a Trump supporter, but you were clearly in love with someone who is a Trump supporter. So, you know, that's a very interesting dynamic. And I've had friends of mine who was like, oh, yeah, I'm married to my husband. Yeah, he's a Trump supporter. And yeah, he has these wild thoughts. I'm like, why are you married to him? And they, you know, the, the answer gets very ambiguous. But Norman, how do you feel about, yeah, I, I don't know, Giuliani's hair dye fiasco and uh, the what drugs I'm loving, and all that stuff? Yeah, go ahead. I'm just loving that there were maybe, there were hours, if not a whole day somewhere in this week, where I didn't actually worry about what Donald Trump did or said today. You know, it's like, wow. It's so great. The Giuliani stuff is just sort of a last hurrah. Like you said, it's like it's like that last cheerleader is still out there. And it's like, no, the game is over. Everybody's leaving. The fans are <laughs> heading out of the stands. And you're still out there just cheering on. Like, God, you're a clown. But it doesn't feel as dangerous as it felt before the election. Now it's yeah. like, oh, okay, we need to contain you, get to January 20. But um, you're just, you know, yeah. you're, I, I look forward to not remembering... <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's and I was so proud of the uh, the Michigan uh, lawmakers who went to the White House simply to hear Trump. You know, I was like, oh, my goodness, is, is some crazy <clears throat> stuff going to happen? But, you know, they're very clear. They're like, listen, we're not changing. You know, we're not right. going against the will of the voters and we'll listen to what you have to say. But, you know, if we, once we certify things, it's it's certified. So you're absolutely right. You know, it's almost like, you know, the house is burning. And I've heard people talk about Trump supporters as being sort of a cult. And who knows what's going to happen after January the 20th, where these Trump supporters are going to be and what they're going to do. But you're right. It, the threat is it's pretty much gone. I mean, you know, the game is over. And I know there's this, I use the football analogy. You know, you play until the end of the whistle. You play until, right. you know, the last, you know, the last seconds tick down right. and maybe that's what the republicans are doing i mean i still think it's rather selfish and it goes against democracy you know well, that's i mean that's the big thing is the trump supporters and all these sitting republican you know sitting officials who are pretending like this is okay or this is normal i'm like oh y'all this is not good this is gonna this man is gonna be gone and we're gonna have to clean this mess up <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And also, and this is just the last thing, you know, and now we'll get into, you know, an origin story with uh, April. But Kyle Rittenhouse, he was um, bailed out of jail. Uh, it's oh. either today or yesterday. But in any case, uh, a couple of Trump supporters and even um, Ricky Schroeder um, had uh. bailed him out, $2 million. And, uh. um, you know, the Kyle Rittenhouse story, and it's interesting talking to you, April, because you work with kids, although you work with little tiny kids. But how impressionable kids can be. I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse was 17 years old, really thought he was doing what, you know, grownups wanted him to do. But, you know, it turned out into him grabbing a semi-automatic shotgun and killing two people. I think he right. shot, I, don't, I think he killed one and he injured no uh, two yeah. other people. And uh, just, just the influence. I mean, have you had to deal with either your kids, your students, along with this maybe not because that just deals with politics but even just friends of yours or, or people within your community who may be influenced by trump or whatever i mean how have you had to deal with with that if at all yeah it's oh yeah it's really hard it's 
young people are such an impressionable age and they have so much more access to what's going on in the world than we did. Like, you know, they, everything is at their fingertips. They can get where they need to go at the blink of an eye. And those, you know, those, um, connections in our brain, they react before they can think about what they're going to do. And even if they have premeditatedly thought of something like, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this. They don't have that, like, let me take two steps back and really think about what Mm -hmm. is happening here and where I'm needed and where I can be of help and need, um, within the community and as part of our country. And it's hard because when you know when you're young and you hear hear this one thing coming to you all the time, all the time, you're going to start to listen to it. I mean, working with my preschoolers, we are doing what we would want to see them behave. You know, if you say, "Oh, no, thank you, I don't want that," if you just keep saying that over and over and over again, they're eventually going to realize, "Oh, if I want the toy instead of hitting, I can say, can I have the toy?" Right. And when we socialize our communities we hope that we're all being socialized in a way that is going to lead us forward in the future with love and compassion. Um, but some people just, that's not at the forefront. They live yeah. in fear. Yeah. We have to understand that kids absorb everything, every single thing. And so, you know, what we put out there, whether we realize it or not, it's being absorbed. And uh, I was listening to Kyle Rittenhouse's mother who of course supports oh, right. her son in every single way. And it's like, well, it's just horrible. And he had to defend himself. And it's easy to see how he could be sort of indoctrinated because you know his mom is indoctrinated. Right. And that's really the, uh, the horrible, what I would call the, the, the bad fruit of, of, of Trump. You know, if we don't think that words have meaning, every time Trump you know, throws out a tweet and all that sort of stuff, we can laugh about it because we're liberals, but some folks really, really absorb this stuff. Right. And, and it's really horrible. No, we're definitely being forced to to think about how we could, the things that we just take for granted. We're having to learn how to communicate about those things. The things that we take for granted as we think are obviously wrong, <laughs> we have to think, we have to find the language to be able to say to somebody, that actually doesn't make sense. That connection, that's not logical. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because, you know, we were talking about uh, I'm with her. That was uh, the play that you were in. And I was talking to Scott Munson off mic. Uh, and we've had Scott on several times. And he had a very difficult time writing about individuals that he had no connection with. I mean, how do you write about a Trump supporter if you don't understand where they're coming from? How do you have a conversation with someone? I mean, I understand Republicans and I understand, you know, let's say being fiscally conservative. Or let's say, even if you're a Christian, you're like, well, you know, that's evil or that's sinful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, separating yourselves from the fact that everyone's an American, everyone has a right to live the way they want to live and all that sort of stuff. uh, And trying to talk some sense, trying to have a decent conversation with someone who doesn't have the capacity to listen at all. It's hard. And it's hard for theater. It's hard to write a play about it. It's hard to have a conversation. But, you know, even after Trump goes, We're going to have to deal with it because, you know, these people, the 70 whatever million people who voted for Trump, they're not going away. No, they aren't. (laughs) And uh, with that, let's have a conversation with April Deutschley. You know, you're talking about, oh, young people. Well, you're young, too. I mean, aren't you? Wouldn't you consider yourself a millennial? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm a millennial. <laughs> but the, you're old. The... But you're old at heart. I mean, you know, you, you have a lot of. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I just sense a lot of wisdom and a lot of energy uh, through you. I was really enjoying, you know, your just working with you just a short time that I have. Oh, but in any you. case, let's get into um, where were you born and raised, and how did you get involved in? Uh, how did the theater bug bite you? Oh yeah, all right. Born and raised. So um, I was born in Botswana, Africa. Oh. Um, yeah. I was born there. Um, I moved to the United States. My dad's American. Um, I moved to the United States when I was about one years old. Um, lived in California. And then from the age of, let's see, whoa, let me think back. <laughs> any siblings? Age, Do you have any siblings? I'm an only child. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Only child raised with just my dad, which is probably why I am um, have such a vivid imagination because I played by myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, was an, I was an only child for a long time. I can certainly understand that. Yeah. Um, and jealous. then I, I lived on the res um, for four years from the age of six to 10 um, on the Navajo reservation on the, in the four corners of Arizona. And that's kind of where I started um, doing a little more like theater things. Um, my dad's a high school teacher. And so we would go to like the high school plays and I would hang out with them and um, see the different things. And of course, you know, like little holiday pageants um, and that sort of choir is where, you know, I started in elementary school and I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then we did a really large move and we went to La Paz, Bolivia. And that's where I really, really got introduced to theater and like what the entire theater world is. Um, so I went to this American private school in La Paz, Bolivia. And <laughs> the funny story is, I guess some theater company came to them and said, oh, we're doing Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And for those of you who don't know that show, there's a very large cast of children oh. who need to be in the show. And they asked our school, do you have you know, a choir? I'm sure you have a choir. Can they be in the show? And they said, yes, yes, we have a choir. They would love to be in the show. The school did not have a children's choir. Um, that was assembled. So they said, all right, get all the kids, tell them we're going to have a children's choir. We went, you know, I auditioned, I did my little scale or sang whatever song we were doing in choir that day. We all got in the show where we were cast. And so my very first show, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I was like hooked. I was immediately hooked. I was working with adults, um, semi-professional actors. And it was just like, I was like, this is it. <laughs> this is the coolest thing I've ever done. This is so much fun. Um, and they kept having us come back. They picked certain, certain kids. They ended up doing Oliver. We did Oliver. We got to do Cats. Um, and they kept picking different kids to participate in these, in these shows to kind of fill out little scenes. We did Carmen. Um, and I was just like, this is everything that I want to do. This is so much fun. There was moments where, you know, the director was, he was very intense. He would be very, very intense. And I learned very quickly the type of behavior that you is needed to work in the theater. You know, you show up, you're on time, you're ready to work. You have your lines down, you know what you're doing. You're here to work. And I was like, I'm here to work. This is great. Um, and uh, we did that. I did that for two years. Um, and then we landed back in Salinas, California. And that's where I went to middle school and high wow. school. <laughs> yes, I'm no, I mean, that's a... <laughs> That's a big jump. It's a big jump. Um, and I went to middle school and high school in Salinas and kind of didn't really find my 
theater footing. Um, I kind of tried to do some things um, and then I just ended up doing sports and was really involved in sports and um, did Salinas that. Kind of, I think of it as a, like a farm community. Is it kind of rural? It is. Yeah. It's a farm community. John Steinbeck, um, yeah. Crepes of Bath, all that. Yeah. So that's where John Steinbeck, John Steinbeck went to my high school, oh. <laughs> of course, at different times. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, as I got older, I realized how much I really, I missed theater so much. And I remember going, they were doing Greece in high school and I was like, oh, please, please let me be. I want to be, I want to do this. Like mm-hmm. I they're like, oh, but you do sports. Like you're unavailable for rehearsals after school. And I was like, I will be the background. I could be in three scenes, like uh, whatever. I was like, I really know what I'm doing. And they, they said no. And I was like, all right, it's fine. Um, and then, you know, graduated and was like, all right, what am I going to do now? And I took some time. I took like a gap year. Um, mm-hmm. and I went to Europe and, um, I lived in Denmark for a little bit and I was doing um, like motion picture and just like film editing Mm. and like we were doing all these fun projects and I I had this teacher and he just said, you need to be an actor. Like that's, that's what you're good at. And I was like, oh, great. Mm. Because I'm really bad at all this computer stuff. Like I was not, (laughs) it's like, I was terrible at all the editing I mean, it wasn't terrible. I just think I just didn't have that capacity to sit in front of the computer and edit things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came back and I went, all right. Yeah. He said, he told me what I got to do. And so I moved to San Francisco and I went to the Academy of Art and I met some of the most amazing people that have really shaped my career to what it is honestly um huge I don't know if you guys know Karen Hurst or Dan Griffiths um they were two instructors that I had who just Mm -hmm. pushed me to do things outside of the school Uh um and that just like having that you know helped me to find theater companies and just auditions and meeting people um and I landed at new conservatory theater center and that's just kind of been a little like haven and home for me and Mm -hmm. being able to work with a lot of different companies throughout the bay area i mean new conservatory theater company bay area musicals um Mm. ray of light um oh right on yeah gone over to town hall theater um yeah just I had a I had a quick question. Um, so what you know when you were in uh, I think it was Denmark. Did you say? Mm-hmm. What, uh, how did you how did you find the the um, uh, the Academy of uh, Art Institute and what led you to San Francisco as opposed to let's say New York or any other place? Yeah. So I mean, I grew up in Salinas. So coming up to San Francisco was a thing, and I just I love it. I just seemed like the place where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, New York is also an amazing place I definitely felt like I wanted to stay kind of close close to home um in a in a sense but I just you know I love they say that San Francisco is a wooden city and I just love like the wooden houses and the architecture Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. I like that it's small but it's not too small (laughs) it's just big enough um and finding the Academy of Art was in school 
not that I had a hard time. I just have a hard time with school systems that only focus on grades. Yeah. Get a grade. And I just, I hated it. I hated it so much. Um, which is funny because my dad's a teacher <laughs> and now, I, and now I'm a teacher, but, and I now teach you are. <laughs> <laughs> but I teach preschool, so we don't have grades, um, but I was just like, oh, I want to go to a place and I just want to learn. I was like, I just want to learn. I don't want someone to be like, here's your test. Tell me what you've learned. I'm like, I just want to learn. Yeah. Um, and so in Denmark, a lot of times they take a gap year and it's called a high school, like folk uh-huh. high school. And each one is catered to something slightly specific so oftentimes after you graduate high school you take this year and you get to explore the thing that you are interested in that you might want to study in university Um, and so this school that I chose particularly focused more on the arts um, like mind body things lots of yoga and movement um, but also outdoors but photography painting fashion design um, motion picture, television, all these different, more of the arts, but other ones focused more on like writing and they ha- each one focused on something. Um, and that's when I went, oh, yeah, I don't, I like focusing on what I want to focus on. Uh-huh. Um, and so the Academy of Art is more focused on the art. They create all of their classes catered to artists. So everyone in your English class is also an artist. You know, they, everyone in your math class or your astronomy class is also an artist. So they mm-hmm. create these classes with the artist's mind. Yeah. Yes, we're getting graded, but they also are like, we get it. You want to doodle all the time. What can we project can we make where you get to doodle or what project can you do where you get to make a skit? Uh-huh. They want you to bring your emphasis into those classes and that was really helpful for me. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And I, th- I wish other schools, e- even if it's not an art school, to really understand what is it the what is it that attracts the student into, you know, the, let's say, uh, you know, like I remember when I was in school, if you doodled, I mean, this is before I went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts, if you doodled, you were reprimanded, hey, stop doodling, you know, we're, we're here to work. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of a teacher saying, hey, you like doodling, so let's create something surrounding your talent. Mm-hmm. Um, the question that I have, and it's something that we've, ha- we've had a, a great conversation with a lot of other folks who've been on the A, about academia, about in the, have you found that, um, have you had to deal with any sort of, uh, I guess, racism or a type of, there's some sort of academia, especially when it comes to theater, where you have a teacher that says, hey, theater is about this, or it's about Shakespeare, it's about this sort of a structure, and we want to make you into a type of actor that goes in this particular direction, which may not be the direction you want to go to. Have you had to have any struggles at all? It sounds like, no, it sounds like the Academy of Art Institute really attuned to everything that you wanted to focus on. But you have, have you had to deal with any struggles with, hey, this is who I am. This is the story that I want to tell. This is the type of artist I want to be. Did it ever run afoul with the, the teachers that you had? Um, luckily, no, not so much. I mean, I'm sure there was probably instances that, you know, have been (laughs) probably like small moments that possibly have been repressed, but off the top of my head, not really. I, I was very fortunate to work with a lot of instructors who really catered to that. And I mean, you know, they really pushed me in ways that were going to make me a better actor and 
regardless of who I was, you know, or, you know, as a black woman, um, I always felt very supported and encouraged to go out. I mean, I guess I will say I did have a class, um, of singing class and it was like picking your, picking your audition songs. And I remember having, we did have to pick songs based on type and Uh some people didn't have an issue with that. You know, if you are um, a young blonde ingenue, there's a million songs for you to pick from. But for, you know, young African women, American women, the pool is a lot smaller. You know, there's very specific types and it's like, you know, can I be Sealy in color purple, the end. <laughs> or, you know, or you have to do something that is totally against your 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 type. You yeah, know. and against your type. And type definitely plays part of it and is okay to understand your type. I think that's important as an actor. But when you only are like, when it becomes very rigid, I struggled and I struggled in that class a lot. And mm-hmm. I remember at the end of that class, writing the teacher and saying, this is something that you need to change because it's it doesn't work. It doesn't work for a lot of students who you were asking us to come up with five to 10 choice song choices, but I only have five to 10 song choices in general for the whole year, you know? Um, And so being able to play with things that you might fight against type a little bit Mm -hmm. because you might not generally be cast as that. um, You mean like a black mermaid? Yeah, like a black mermaid. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is. And I think it's something, and you know, it takes a lot of courage for you to write to the teacher to say, hey, you know, this is something you need to change. Because a lot of times as a student, you think, well, everything's on me. You know, if I'm having this trouble, then mm-hmm. it's my fault. Then I've got something, I've got, I need to change because the, the teacher is always right. And the mm-hmm. school is always right. And that's a, a mindset that has to, has to change. I had a question for both of you, and I'll start with Norman. Because both of you have spent time outside of the United States. I I consider the both of you as sort of world travelers. Um, You know, Norman, you spent time in uh, South Korea. I was in the service, yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you find that it helped you as an artist? Because there are a lot of artists who, they only come from one community, or they only think of theater or uh, approach a text from an American perspective. Do you feel that being out in the world made you grow as an artist? Yeah, I mean, I would say, of course, um, because part of being an artist is having experiences. <clears throat> and the big thing, even though I was in the army, so I was mostly sort of in America, in another country, you know, we always had our our world. I didn't have to learn other languages or or really deal on that level. But it's still, what it did for me was just made me realize it didn't matter where I was, you know, people drink water everywhere. The same way. Glasses look the same in every country. You know, doors are the same in every country. So there may be some cultural rules and things that are different, but so much was the same. And that just blew, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, I realized that a lot of what we learn, especially in America, is just very insular. And instead it was like, oh, no, this, there's no reason the whole world can't be getting along because there's so much that we have in common. So it just made bring, bringing that awareness back to, like you mentioned Shakespeare before, to being cast in a play like that and going, well, I could totally be there. Why couldn't it be me? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. April, how do you feel? How do you feel that living in Belize and and uh, living in um, oh shucks, I forgot that uh, that country. Denmark. I want to say Nor- Denmark. Denmark, yes. Denmark. Uh, <laughs> do you feel that it's made you a more well well rounded actress as opposed to just being in Salinas? And what took you to Denmark? I'm really curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. I think traveling, going to different places, seeing how people behave in different places. I'm a really movement-based actor. And so Mm. my first thing is like, how does this person move? And people, Mm -hmm. yeah, we all move differently based on our environments. Um, And also just like having this worldview of, you know, you never know who's sitting in the audience. (laughs) You know, that person might go, oh yeah, that reminded me of of home (laughs) or whatnot. what moved me to Denmark, my dad lived in Denmark for a little bit. And so he was the one who mentioned these schools and was like, I think you would really benefit from going to one of wow. these schools. Um, so we did have old family friends who also lived there, which was kind of nice that I mm-hmm. felt like I wasn't completely alone, but right. it, was, it was a really awesome experience. It was an international school. Um, I was the only American, but... I met people from Lithuania and the Czech Republic and Hmm. Denmark and of course, Denmark, (laughs) right? (laughs) Hungary. And, and it was, it was really fun. And it was a lot of create, it was probably one of the most creative times I've ever been. um, Cause we were forced to everything we made came from us. We didn't recreate anything. Um, And it was, yeah. It was, it was a good time. <laughs> cool. Um, one question that I always, um, you know, I'm always interested in technique. Did you learn any specific techniques that you still use today uh, from academia or, you know, because we, Norman and I always wonder, do you learn more as an actor just, you know, from life experiences or do you learn from, you know, the techniques? Like I learned, you know, Stanislavski and let's say the Meisner technique or well, something like that. you about movement. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Academy of Art uh, definitely focused a lot on Meisner, um, which is a great technique. For me, I really um, cling to move like really movement, Alexander technique. Um, I did a lot of clown. um, And so I studied clown extensively and like Dell'Arte and those sorts of things. Comedia Dell'Arte, right on. Yeah, so I I studied at um, Circus Center a bit. Um, and so that for me who, is who, like, who are your, who are your teachers? Um, I worked a lot with Dan Griffiths, Danielle Conover, mm-hmm. um, Dominique Jandon, who's an incredible French clown. Oh. Um, <laughs> and yeah, for me, finding the movement in the character is like, mm-hmm. that clicks for me. Once I know how this person moves, everything else just like falls into place, which has been kind of hard with Zoom because sitting, (laughs) Um, you're sitting or maybe just standing, you're kind of stuck in your square. So finding that is a little, is it's different, but it really helps. I mean, the last show I was doing right before COVID, I was over at town hall and was doing cherry orchard, which is a, a period piece. So, you know. Was that directed by Susan Evans? It was directed by Stephen Evans. That's yeah. what, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was um, playing Anya, who's a lot younger than I am in real life. But 
you know, understanding that, you know, she's a younger person. So she moves with like a slightly different air about her, but she's also wearing a corset. So like getting our corsets in very early in the rehearsal process was very helpful because you realize that, oh, I can't just like slouch on a chair because you wouldn't do that. (laughs) Um, So that sort of thing is huge a big thing for me <laughs> yeah it's you know working with Susan Evans for so many years I worked with her when she was a the artistic director of EastEnders and I know she loves those classics and she also likes movement you know when we did uh, Fear and Misery in the Third Reich back in 2007 she had focused on uh, during the rehearsal process sort of using movements and gesture work uh, to create a character and I think her objective was to break us out of the usual way of approaching a character, like, you know, like reading the lines and getting the beats and the blocking and approaching it from a very pedestrian point, finding sort of an otherworldly, like, you know, if you have a gesture, how does that gesture formulate your character? Uh, Let's say folks in Denmark may pick up a spoon different than someone in, I don't know, Brooklyn, New York. So Mm -hmm. how does that formulate a character? And that was very interesting for me as an actor and it sort of broke me out of my usual routine. Uh, which got out of different performance. And I know that Susan is, he, she, spe- she specializes in that. So um, how, how has, um, I guess, uh, how's the theater life in the Bay Area treated you? Are you getting the roles that you want? Have you been um, optimistic, pessimistic? Have you been frustrated? Have you been enjoying it? Um, I'll just leave it, like, leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel I'm still, you know, I'm still figuring it out. Um, I was, I, my big goal of like this past year was to be booked through the year, which I was until COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Did you lose any money? A, a little bit, yeah. You know, I was um, really, I had one project that I was, I was really, really excited to do um, with New Conservatory Theater. Um, they were doing a show called Sugar in Our Wounds. Um, and I was like, this is the one, this is the one that is gonna, you know, show everyone what April De- Deutschli has got. <laughs> um, and unfortunately it wasn't, wasn't able to happen, but we hope that we can bring it. Um, it was with uh, Sean Jay, if you guys know Sean, Sean Jay, Jay West, yeah, right yes. on. Yeah, he was directing. Small and, world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's this beautiful, beautiful story of, you know, um, folks during the time um, of slaves and enslaved folks and but also about love Um, and I played this character of Maddie and she was so just figuring out the world and really trying to figure out and understand what love is and how to still have love in a time where things were so hard. and I'm kind of forgetting the question that you had asked me. No, 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 no. Yeah, you know, it's but it sounds like you're you're getting yourself known. I mean, if you can get yeah. you know cast at the new conservatory by Sean Jay, then obviously you're getting your name out there and you're getting the sort of roles that you want. I mean, obviously post COVID, you'll be back on you know, you'll be back on your feet and everyone will sort of get back. But you know, we've had some actors who let's say they you know they get out there, they audition, 
And for whatever reason, they may become disillusioned because they're not getting the roles that they want or they're telling stories that don't belong to them. But it sounds like that doesn't apply to you. It sounds like you're getting the attention that you want and you're getting sort of the roles that you want. It sounds like you're mm-hmm. not, it, it doesn't sound like you're frustrated at all. Nothing's knocked the smile no. off of I your mean, face. <laughs> I mean, of course I want to, you know, be the lead every once in a while, but I also really love ensemble work um, as a movement actor, like ensemble Like I'm the type of person when you go to the theater, I'm like, what is the person who doesn't have lines? What is that person doing? And how are they supporting the person who is saying the lines? Right. And I love being that person. (laughs) I love being that person in the background to fill it up. And like, cause that gives me the devised work that it's not written. They didn't write that, but they knew someone who could do it. And I feel very fortunate that I'm often cast as that strong actor who can bring that. And ensembles are just as important as your leading people. Yeah, <laughs> if right, not exactly. more so. If not more so. <laughs> yeah, and you, but you deserve both. Norman, I had just forgotten that. Uh, I guess this new, uh, another news thing is that uh, SAG-AFTRA and Equity—they've come to an agreement regarding. I haven't read it. I I've been avoiding it. I got the friggin' email from the union, and I'm like, oh, yeah. What does it mean? It's a bit vague. I mean, but it's basically saying that actors, in other words, actors will not be penalized for doing Zoom readings or. Or, you know, ha, some well, performances. Good. That's what they need to say. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Which leads me to another question. Uh, April, have you thought about being equity or SAG-AFTRA or uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, of course. I definitely, you know, I feel like that's a goal for a lot of actors is to, you know, get equity. As of now, I feel like I, I don't, it's not needed. You know, the projects that I want to do, um, are not necessarily there. It's hard for, you know, a lot of our, our Bay Area theater companies to be able to hire that many, you know, a lot of SAG actors and hopefully we'll get to a point where they can hire everybody's union and non-union and it all works out and everyone's paid equally and fairly. Um, but right now I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm happy with what I'm doing. And, you know, as I hopefully we'll get some points when we're allowed to be back up and running and get yeah, to that. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to dominate the thing. Uh, Norman, did you have any questions? I, I do have a couple more, but I wanted to give you the floor. <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate hearing just, especially whenever I hear a new conservatory theater, because they are such a complex. They're their own little machine. Um, so I'm always excited to hear about somebody getting out. And I did uh, see the Brecht Project. Um, oh. So I did wonder, who is this young woman? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you got to come on the show. Yeah, no, and you have tremendous energy. I mean, you know, I can I can really see you on stage, and uh, even just the, you know, there are a lot of actors who are like, oh, it's just a Zoom reading, and I'm got the script, so I'm not going to exert too much energy. Um, but then you have someone who's like, I'm going to put everything into it, and you certainly have that. And, and you know, as a writer, I really, really appreciate that. Um, there's so earlier this year, <clears throat> we had uh, Eli Sunny Orkiza, I think that's his name who um, created uh, what we call the, I guess, the open letter, basically a letter for all theater companies, basically saying, hey, you need to be racially inclusive in in hiring practices, and we need to have our stories told. And I wanted to, the question I have for you, April, both as a woman and as a person of color, as a Black person, as, as all of us are, um, do you feel... I, what do you, What's your take on the state of theater in the Bay Area as far as getting seeing roles as a as an audience member um 
for you know seeing stories of of people of color not just black people but you know also latinos and you know the gay lesbian community or whatever do you feel that there's more or less racial inclusivity um you know what what's your take on it as far as like you know you auditioning and you getting roles and things like that yeah sometimes the bay area knocks it out of the park and they're killing it <laughs> and you know we're the forefront of you know inclusive casting and casting that represents the bay area and sometimes they mm. don't do so well <laughs> and, right. and i also applaud this community because they won't they don't let it happen very often if it happens they say something and i think that's a huge important step into making sure that all theater companies do the same thing that we're not gonna we see you we're not gonna let you cast only white people in into the woods yeah it's not gonna happen and as a matter <laughs> of fact and norman i will hope you uh, cut your mic back on but i think it happened in kent state i saw it on my facebook feed mm -hmm. someone had cast oh you know about it <laughs> someone <saw> <laughs> cast a white person to play martin luther king, martin luther king. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I was like, no, this has to be a mistake. And I, I don't I don't even know what their excuse was. I think the director was like, well, you know, Martin Luther King represents not just a black person's perspective, but he represents everyone. So anyone right, can he's play. Universal. And I'm like, um Except yeah, not. No. <laughs> Except not. No. Um, yeah, I feel like I I'm I'm definitely that type of person who puts myself in the room if it doesn't have it doesn't matter. I mm. I will play who I think I fit the bill. If I think I can play that character, I'm gonna show up to that audition. Mm -hmm. And some people don't, but I'm also, the more, if I can do it a bunch of times, it might change somebody's mind. And then they will go, all right, you know what? Next time, this is what's gonna happen. Um, and if I can kind of pave that way for somebody else, then I'm I'm gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure there are roles that you probably wouldn't do. Like we talked a lot about the uh, the controversy that happened, I think, in Marin. The um, what is it? Uh, Thomas and Sally. Yeah, I'm, Sally. I'm sure you would yeah. not play Sally Hemings, a very willing, <laughs> supposedly willing participant in you know the relationship with um, you know with Thomas Jefferson. I'm sure I'm sure there are roles where you were like mm, probably mm -hmm. not. Yeah, but I mean. I mean, going back to even Scott Munson's play, I'm with her. I don't think The Waitress was written for a black woman mm -hmm. originally. And it ended up that I was playing her and that kind of shifted the dynamic of the play as well. Um, so if I can do that, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, no, if you can make it work and if it, if it can be some, somewhat plausible, I mean, you know, doing I'm with her, there are plenty of individuals who get into relationships and they don't realize who they're hooking up with. You know, there are all sorts of ways of, of justifying that sort of stuff. And I'm sure, you know, as a director, Norman, you can sort of make, if you had to direct an individual who let's say is black, but is married to someone who is a, a white supremacist or a Trump supporter, I'm sure there are ways that you can sort of make it work. Well, you have to, you have to ask yourself the question. And I, I feel like I, I feel fortunate that I've worked a lot with um, playwrights. Um, so I'm actually having a discussion with that person. And I, I feel awkward about it at times. I feel like the work needs to speak for itself. 
So if I'm totally wrong about my interpretation of what's going on, then yes, please help help me, correct me. But if I read something into it that maybe isn't in the playwright's head, but I think it's in the play, I'm going to fight for that. I, I am. I, I've done it any number of times. I, I just... I feel like, on the positive side, I've had many writers come to me and say, oh my God, I did not realize this stuff was in my play. And I'm like, yay. So this was an important experience for you. I'm glad that you know you can see it in a more positive way. But I do find myself nervous at times that, I'm, that maybe the playwright isn't intending what I see in the play. And, and I've gotten better about finding ways to ask. I, I warned them basically because what happened is I, I had a couple of seasons with uh, Playground doing the shorts with Playground where I get these plays. We've got one rehearsal. I'm just plowing through. I know what I've got time for and that's what we're going to do. And uh, and then afterwards uh, I'd hear a playwright say to somebody and Norman, you know, just really did a good job with my play, even though they didn't do this, you know, that was oh, written or whatever. And a lot of times it's it's staging or stage direction. It's like, I, I can't do it. We do not have the resources for that. I can't do it. So I'm not going to do it. Um, but now I realize I should ask. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and like I said, it's a collaborative effort. I mean, going back to, <clears throat> you know, I'm with her, like I compare that with another reading that I did earlier this year, which also dealt with race relations. Uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm with her. I guess it only dealt with race. It did deal with race relations because there was Kimberly Ridgway. She was also in that. And that really directly dealt with race relations. But there was one writer that I worked with and I did a reading. And it was very clear that he was only dealing with race relations on a very surface level. Right. And I tried talking to him as an actor because I wanted him to grow. And I was like, listen, as a black person, this is how it reads to me and it doesn't read right. So maybe you want to focus on this or that or the other. Right. And I got a made terse response. OK, yeah, I'll think about that and just went on with it, as opposed to, let's say, someone like Scott Munson, who will be like, oh, OK, this is very interesting. This is how I'll tweak it. Or, you know, he really believe there's some folks who believe in the collaborative process who really want to tell the story. We've talked about do you have to be black to write about black, you know, um, issues? And my answer is no, but you have to be very conscientious of it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you can step into on a lot of third rails if you do it wrong. Or can I write about, let's say, Asian issues? Uh, I, I need to be very careful and be very uh, cognizant of responses that I get, because mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, I need to be told that I'm wrong so that I can make the change as a, as a writer. There are a lot of writers who don't want to do rewrites. They want to be right immediately, and they want to have you know, the actor do you know, just do it and, and they don't take in any collaborative uh, efforts. I mean, they don't, they don't take any responses and, and that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sounds like I'm just running my mouth. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, no, you, uh, just, you just gave me some food for thought. So I yeah, I did a question for you, April. Have you had to deal, it sounds like the answer is no. Have you had to deal with any um, issues as a woman? Let's say people being uh, inappropriate, you know, uh, let's say, no. I don't know sexual harassment or just being uh just not being attentive of you as a woman or talking over you yeah Ooh, talking over me that's probably happened a lot and those are some things that probably get brushed off and repressed um luckily not so much um i 
have been very fortunate to work with a lot of really sensitive and caring people who really work with you. Um, I mean, I did, I don't know if anyone's worked with Cindy Goldfield before, but she is an incredible um, person and works really well with intimacy scenes. And um, that's what, company, what company is she with? Um, she works all over. She's done a lot with 42nd Street Moon. Um, I did The Legend of Georgia McBride at Town Hall Theater with her. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a show where I had a lot of intimate scenes with my scene partner. Um, and she just broke it down and made us both feel really comfortable. And also, the thing is, you have to remember that it's not real. <laughs> right. um, and working with like an intimacy coach is so so important and yeah. i keep like, yeah we had we, we had maya herbsman on she's also an intimacy coach i don't know if you've heard of her yeah um and i think that's something that all theater communities should really invest in if you have scenes that are intimate having someone even if you think that it's not a huge deal it might be a huge deal to your actors um right. and even just asking them is this somebody that you think should we have someone here for this um and they might not even know like oh yeah, I know I'm just like hugging and maybe, you know, a simple kiss, but that hug and simple kiss might not be so simple to an actor. Right. Um, and I was even look, I was like, oh, I want to be an intimacy coach. I think I'd be really good at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, can I can totally see that. And you're right. It's absolutely necessary. Very much so. Not just for the, well, I mean, there's intimacy as far as that, but also even just, you know, fight coaches, you know, like let's say mm -hmm. things get, you know, like a confrontational scene, you know, and that's that sort of stuff yeah sometimes i think people forget that actors are people and have their own baggage that they're bringing in and maybe even using within the scenes so being able to like help them and protect them and coddle them where they needed to be is is important yeah exactly where do you see yourself in the future i mean do you want to stay here do you want to move on to i don't know la or new york or you know where, where do you want to see your, where do you see yourself yeah, I mean, I feel like I was just, you know, really scratching the surface of all that Bay Area theater has to offer mm -hmm. <laughs> um, up until COVID-19. Um, you know, I don't think LA is quite my jam. I have a lot of friends that have moved to LA and they love it. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a theater person. I like the stage. Sure. I like devising work. Um, New York would be awesome at some time in the future. Chicago, I've definitely had my eye on Chicago. Mm. Um, a little I feel like the the pool is a little bit smaller um and they kind of focus on more of the things that that I like to do in in terms of devised work and new works yeah Chicago so, would be nice sounds good have you ever thought <laughs> Cold, about uh, but nice <laughs> yeah have you ever thought of writing or directing or doing some other aspects of theater yeah I've definitely um I've done some writing I've done some directing I definitely like directing a lot I've I've had some some fun with that and was hoping, you know, in the future, in the long run to definitely uh, do more directing. I've written my own one woman show. Um, oh, was it produced? It was, I did it with a safe house for the arts. Uh -huh. um, and so I did a couple residency programs with them um, creating my one woman show called stage meet. Yay. Um, <laughs> um, kind of about my life and my dealing with uh, the act being an actor mm -hmm. um so i'm hoping uh, maybe I'll, I'll bring it back <laughs> this is the time right i have the time to work on it <laughs> yeah and a one-woman show would be perfect for zoom so you know that would be that would be a very cool thing it's true i could put it on the online platform 
Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I think we've hit the one hour mark. Uh, any last minute things before we uh, tie it all up? I just wonder if there's any um, any particular spaces that you find that you had your eye on. I mean, obviously, easier to say that about before COVID, but theater companies where you were like, oh, I'm, I, I would think I could fit in really well with those folks. Yeah, definitely been eyeing um, SF Playhouse. Uh, yeah. Looks like a fun place to work. And they, they put on some really, I've been noticing that they've been putting on some really great shows. Mm -hmm. um, ACT has been also doing some really good works. I went to see her Pullman two a while back and just sobbed through the entire thing. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, and I also feel like there's just always new theater company, especially with this new Zoom world that I'm seeing that I probably maybe have never heard of. You know, someone's like, oh, I'm in this thing with so-and-so because they can now access so many more actors. Right. Um, Oh yeah. I'm yeah, just, that's been amazing. Yeah, I know. That's there's a good thing that's coming out is that we get to explore more outside of our, our travel radius. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's been awesome. And you know, and also connecting because one thing I worried about was, oh my goodness, we're all closed in, so we won't be able to connect with new people. But you know, mm -hmm. it's still happening. So that that is just awesome. All righty. Well, April, thank you so much for taking you know giving us your time. Uh, Norman, uh, shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. I don't have a big list this week. I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, but Raelle Myrick Hodges, her birthday is coming up. She is an amazing director. Um, I'm not sure where she is right now. She because her career takes her around the country, which yay for her. Um, actor I met just a few years ago. We were doing a reading of a Jeannie Baroga piece, uh, Banyan, and uh, Jimmy Mo Ashmore had just moved into the Bay Area, and I got to snatch him up for that. So he's his birthday's coming up this week. Alex Wong, who was one of the um, composers, uh, collaborators on uh, Paper Raincoat that was done through the Musical Cafe. Uh, his birthday is this week. Stuart Evan Smith Jr. is a black man. I, I always think of him as a young black man, but we did a show, I think it was about 2005. This is the show that my wife first saw me in. She has no memory of me being in the play. There were only two black men in the play, but somehow... She doesn't remember any of that. Anyway, that was when I met Stuart. Uh, Deborah Eliezer is um, somebody I went to San Francisco State with, and she is still making theater. Amy Nielsen is somebody I met through the alley, uh, the little bar over here, the piano bar. And um, then she had moved to New York. I think she has moved back, but she is a musical theater person. And last one I have is Donald Lacey. Who, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, Camposanto, um, he's done a lot of his own work. Um, he is, you know, powerful black actor in the Bay. So those are the birthdays I've got for this week. All right. And uh, my list is rather short, too. So, yes, no, two days ago, Isabella Capozzi, she was also on the Yay. She was one of the youngest uh, people that we've had on the Yay. And uh, we did... Um, what was it? It was Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown, looking at my posters. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, I think she's maybe 18 years old now. Uh, but in any case, uh, her birthday was uh, two days ago. Also, uh, tomorrow, uh, another one of uh, the alumni from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, Robert Digman. He was a fantastic actor. He was one of these actors 
who, you know, we're all high school students, but he was actually getting gigs. He was doing the things that all of us should have been doing and actually going out and getting cast and doing all sorts of shows mm. while he was still in high school. So Robert, he's in, um, he is in Hawaii now, um, living the Mahalo life. So um, yeah. happy birthday to Robert. Also tomorrow, Keaton Wilkerson, we've had him on. He was also, he was one of the lead singers in uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. And uh, his birthday is uh, tomorrow. Uh, happy birthday, Keaton. Paul Dannenhauser, he is the second half of the director. Um, he, he, was, he acted in We Did the Chain. That was a musical cafe that we were involved in. And uh, he and his partner, uh, Jonathan Levy. Um, Jonathan Levy directed uh, the piece and, um, and Paul was in the piece. So that will be his birthday's tomorrow. On Monday, uh, Chuck Laxon, his birthday is uh, on Monday, and Chuck Laxon is uh, one of the actors and comedians at Bindlestiff. He and his wife, I'm trying to get both him and his wife on because they met. Oh, right. You were saying for. Uh... <clears throat> yeah. So on February, we're going to try to have a yay special all, all month, having couples who got together yay. through theater. <laughs> so that'll be a cool thing. Let's see, do I have uh, anyone else? I, I see Don Lacey, but that's, you know, we've done that. And on Saturday, Tom Riley. And I'm sure oh. April. Oh, <laughs> we love Tom. Yeah, Tom was fantastic. <laughs> he was uh, my Judge Patton in, um, in uh, Judicial Process. And I've mm -hmm. acted with Tom several, several times. We did Grey Gardens together at the Douglas Morrison Theater. Civil War Christmas, he was uh, Abraham Lincoln. I'm trying to think of what else uh, we've done. I feel like there's one other thing uh, that we've done. I can't remember it. But in any case, uh, Tom is fantastic, and he's still doing it. And I have no idea how old he is. I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> but uh, Tom, Tom is awesome. And that is it. Those are my birthdays. He's over 21. Yeah, exactly. He's of age. <laughs> uh, shows. Any uh, shows you want to push? The only thing I had was, uh, I and I put it in the chat, the uh, just vote is coming up on December 1st. So um, the Maskers Playhouse is doing this as a fundraiser. They're going to have stuff all day. We are the last piece of the day. So I, I'm not going to ask everybody to go to all of that. But 7 o'clock, you can see me, Frederick yep. Douglass. There you go. For, and that was uh, uh, written. Who, who directs it? Does, um, does Judith Hopper direct it too? She is directing it, um, which I also... <laughs> I find problematic when playwrights, you need to be able to wear one hat in that situation. You really need to be able to sit and absorb your play. If you're, if you're busy, it's hard for you to do that, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But in any case, Judith Offer is uh, directing and, and she wrote the piece. So, uh, mm -hmm. and she's been a guest on the A as well. So we'll pump that. Also, Medicine for These Times is a virtual concert. It'll be, uh, it, it, it's only on one day, well, it's today, uh, from 7 oh. to 8 p.m., uh -huh. and uh, Angel Adedukan, and she was on, she was episode 147. She was I one love of the Angel. <laughs> oh, yeah, Angel, oh, really? You, see, small world. Yeah. <laughs> she, she will be performing. Uh, also, we've been pushing uh, Trying. That is a piece uh, by the Tabard Theater. I've never talked about what oh. Trying is, but Trying is basically a piece where there is a, um, a, uh, um, a lawyer who hires an assistant and they sort of, you know, get into a tete-a-tete, -tete, but, you know, they sort of learn about each other and that's being done by the Tabard Theater. It mm -hmm. has been running since November the 2nd, 6th, 
and it ends tomorrow. And Melissa Mambuis, and she has also been an, a guest on our Melissa. show. <laughs> Small world, right on. I love that. Uh, and, you know, if you don't remember uh, Norman, she had the wonderful story about how she, uh, I think she's, she's a cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, exactly. And she she talked uh, a great deal about that. Yes, yeah, she and I, we did Grey Gardens along with uh, Tom, who played uh, Joe Kennedy Sr. Tom is always Tom is always playing these historical characters. <laughs> he's uh, good at it. <laughs> he's very, very good at it. Uh, he, he, you know, he's right on top of that. So, yeah, so trying uh, that will be that will end tomorrow. And I'll have a link to that. Melissa Mambuis is in that show. And um, that's it. Those are the shows that I have. April, do you have any shout outs you want to make? Um, yeah, you can. I also do a lot of drag and burlesque and I'll be at the Oasis uh, Club on December uh, 11th, Friday, December 11th. Mm -hmm. um, you can order safe cocktails and food and have a socially distanced drag show. <laughs> wow. Right on. Yes. Yeah, if there's a link, if you can send sure. us the link, then yeah. I'll, we'll uh, push that. I will. April, April, did you enjoy yourself? I loved it. This was so great. It was so nice to like sit down and talk with you, Reg, and nice to meet you, Norman. Yeah. And I hope that I can see you in real time sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, I know. It feels like I, I've known you, but I had to remind myself, no, I've, we've never physically met. So um, <laughs> COVID times. But no, no, it's, it's been wonderful. And uh, I've said it many, many times, but you are a fantastic actress. And I love, you know, it'll, Thank you. I'm, I'm sure your, your career will just grow and grow and grow. All righty. So here is my blurb. You can find, you're probably watching this on YouTube. If you are, please like and subscribe and tell us what you like and what you don't like about it. Uh, if you subscribe, it helps us out because uh, we're, I'm still trying to um, find more sponsors. And, you know, if our numbers are up, then that's those are numbers that I can present to potential sponsors to help the A uh, keep growing. Also, if you're listening to us traditionally on your podcast, you can listen to us on any podcast app. Uh, we're on, if you click on, if you're an Apple user, you click on that purple podcast app that's on pretty much all iPhones and iPads and we, you can find us. We're also on Spotify and we're also on the iTunes app. If you're a, um, uh, an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you can find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier? April, is there any uh, social media apps that people can find you on? Yeah, you can definitely find me on Instagram. Um, my performer account is Cheetah Biscotti. Um, you can find me on there. Right on. And I'll type all that out and uh, put that on the links so that people can find if you're looking for a fantastic actress. It sounds like you could sing, too. Is that right? April? <laughs> I dabble in, I in the vocal arts. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. But if you're looking for a really energetic and just a really fun actress to work with, April, you can't go wrong with April. Yay! All righty. <laughs> Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we, we got to find a better sign off. And we are out. <laughs>